Nancy Pelosi's sham January 6th committee subpoenaed former President Donald J. Trump. We give you his complete response, and we give you a perspective on special counsel John Durham you haven't heard anywhere else. On this special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 261 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Saturday, October 15th, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time. A lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines, including the people that are dropping dead. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is really a different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Now, if you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. And also... Please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Okay, before we go to the deep dive into the latest trial conducted by Special Agent John Durham and my unique perspective on what he is doing, let's talk about what Nancy Pelosi's sham January 6th committee just did. We'll give you two perspectives and then President Trump's complete response. Okay, so I want to start with William Jacobson over at LegalInsurrection.com. He is a brilliant attorney, and he is the purveyor. He's the guy that started LegalInsurrection.com. And he's indeed talking about what's going on with this sham January 6th commission article entitled January 6th committee finale handing anti-MAGA football to DOJ for prosecutions after Democrats lose the house. He says the final episode of the made for TV movie called the January 6th house select committee hearings finished with a final hearing today. This is Thursday, the 13th. He says, of course, the hearings were not hearings. There was no opposition permitted. Thousands of hours of video and tens of thousands of pages of evidence were edited down and selectively used to do one thing, get the political opposition as broadly as possible. This was no search for the truth. It was a political infomercial. The final episode was Thursday, October 13th, but the final play is to hand the anti-MAGA football to Merrick Garland and the DOJ to prosecute Democrats' political opposition once Democrats lose the House 
as is likely. Liz Cheney announced that the committee is making criminal referrals. Now, he's, he's got an embedded video there of Liz Cheney and a tweet from the New York Times, but I'm going to spare you having to hear her voice. You get it. They're going to make criminal referrals. Jacobson continues, the committee also voted to subpoena Trump for questioning. Once again, Liz Cheney led the way. Again, another embedded video, this time from the Associated Press, of Liz Cheney saying, we are obligated to seek answers directly from the man who set this all in motion. Okay, it's a lie. She knows it's a lie, but she hates him. So all is fear and love and war, right? William Jacobson continues saying, these moves, particularly the, the subpoena, would not seem to make sense. Once, and assuming Republicans take over in January, they can vote to rescind the subpoena and revoke any finding of contempt, so is it futile? At least one person thinks the strategy is to hand off the football to DOJ so it's out of the control of the future Republican-controlled House. So at this point, there's an embedded tweet from Sarah Isker, staff writer over the Dispatch, which is some kind of liberal Republican website and legal podcast, advisory opinions, co-host, Politico, contributing editor, ABC News, yada, 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 yada. So somebody had said, this all goes away when the next Congress gets sworn in, and she responded, not how this works. If he doesn't respond, talking about Trump, Congress reconvenes in December. They can hold a contempt vote then, you know, lame duck, before the Republicans take over, and refer it to the DOJ. Once it's at justice, it doesn't matter who controls the House or whether the committee still exists. Jacobson says, that probably is the plan, but will Merrick Garland really prosecute someone for failing to comply with a subpoena that has been withdrawn and a contempt vote that has been rescinded? You must be new around here if you think he won't. At a minimum, it will provide the pretext for a new round of FBI terror with seizures of electronic devices, raids on lawyers, and SWAT teams swooping at dawn down on families in their pajamas. That is William Jacobson. Don't shoot the messenger. William Jacobson over at Legal Insurrection, article entitled January 6th Committee Finale, handing anti-MAGA football to DOJ for prosecutions after Dems lose the House. Okay. Next, we want to go to the great Julie Kelly over to American Greatness. Her article is entitled, The Broken Promises of the January 6th Committee. And she has a picture of the two rhinos, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, at the top of her article. And I think for a reason. She says the select committee to investigate The January 6th attack on the United States Capitol conducted its final televised performance Thursday afternoon, an event 
dutifully carried live by every cable and broadcast news station. Representative Liz Cheney, Republican Wyoming, and Adam Kinzinger, Republican Illinois, now plan to exit stage left as their congressional careers come to an end, the former at the hands of disgruntled Wyoming Republican voters and the latter at the hands of gerrymandering Illinois Democrats. She says it's only a matter of time before both of them find a new home at some never-Trump outlet funded by leftist billionaires to play the role of the, quote, conservative, unquote, useful idiot to the Democratic Party. Since its inception, the select committee has wielded its unchecked authority not to fulfill the stated mission of finding out exactly what happened on January 6th, a four-hour disturbance, the enabling legislation refers to as a domestic terror attack, but as a vehicle to harass, intimidate, prosecute, and destroy the careers of Donald Trump, his aides, and his supporters. Former federal prosecutors for months have interrogated Trump White House officials behind closed doors to produce cherry-picked clips to bolster the regime's narrative that Trump incited the so-called insurrection by refusing to accept the 2020 presidential election as legitimate, a view still shared by the overwhelming majority of Republican voters. Among specific promises regarding the committee's outcome, House Democrats initially pledged to examine, quote, the activities of intelligence agencies, law enforcement agencies, and the armed forces, including with respect to intelligence collection, analysis, and dissemination, and information sharing among the branches and other instrumentalities of government, unquote. Further, committee members claimed to be interested in, quote, the policies, protocols, processes, procedures, and systems for interoperability between the United States Capitol Police and the National Guard, the Metropolitan Police Department of the District of Columbia, and other federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies in the National Capitol Region on or before January 6, 2021, unquote. Unsurprisingly, the committee to date has addressed almost none of those matters. So-called evidence instead revolved around plans by Trump and his inner circle to prepare for and fight an election that didn't go their way, something of an American tradition, actually, before it became the basis for an alleged criminal conspiracy after November 2020. There is almost no discussion of security failures related to the breach of the building, Promises of bombshell revelations that would blow the roof off the House, as Representative Jamie Raskin, Democrat Maryland, warned in April, never materialized. Committee hearings have featured one dramatic scene after another, tearful and sanctimonious committee members, aggrieved cops turned media celebrities, remorseful Capitol protesters, and disloyal administration officials participated in a public therapy session of sorts, all emoting under the direction of a skilled television producer 
hired to attract an audience. For the most part, however, the performances fizzled. The only star born was Cassidy Hutchinson, a telegenic White House aide who detailed a physical encounter between Trump and a Secret Service agent that afternoon. Now, her account has not been backed up by anyone involved. The officials she named have not been invited back by the committee to confirm her description even. The American people quickly lost interest to the extent it ever existed outside of the nation's capital. One CNN columnist fretted that Americans are more concerned about the cost of fast food than the committee's so-called compelling trove of evidence. During Thursday's matinee, which Chairman Benny Thompson, Democrat Mississippi, noted at the start had been changed to an official business meeting in order to allow for a vote, Thompson promised the committee's swan song would provide a clear picture of what took place on January 6th by making documentary evidence available to the American people. But aside from airing a few newly obtained emails exchanged among Secret Service officials, much of the committee's presentation rehashed old clips, accusations, and condemnations about the so-called big lie. Huge gaps of documentary evidence remain missing, completely ignored by committee members and their professional investigators. Lawmakers did not mention the status of an FBI probe into the suspect who allegedly planted pipe bombs outside the headquarters of both the Republican National Committee and Democrat National Committee the night before the Capitol protest. Lawmakers also did not mention incoming Vice President Kamala Harris reportedly was working at DNC headquarters when the explosive device was located. The incident that prompted the first wave of panic and evacuations has been memory hold by the so-called fact-finding committee. Not a single document from congressional and local leaders responsible for protecting Capitol Hill on January 6th, namely House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat California, then Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican Kentucky, and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. Not a single document from any of them has been made publicly available to shed light on why the building did not have better security that day. No correspondence between those officials, not to mention sworn testimony, is part of the committee's official record. To the contrary, Representative Thompson made clear at the onset that Pelosi's office would be off limits. Now, Pelosi made her first cameo appearance on Thursday when the committee played never-before-seen clips recorded by her filmmaker daughter on January 6th. Questions as to the involvement of the FBI or other federal agencies remain unanswered and unasked. It's unknown whether FBI Director Christopher Wray even testified. Remember, when the committee came to the defense of Ray Epps and promised to disclose his testimony? Yeah, well, that didn't happen either. What about videos that show police officers allowing hundreds of individuals into the building? 
Where are the disciplinary reports on officers who permitted the breach to occur? Or internal investigations into use of excessive force that contributed to the deaths of four Trump supporters that day? Why not release the 14,000 hours of surveillance video captured by security cameras inside and outside the building on January 6th? The footage would tell the complete story, not just snippets to support the regime's narrative, and on and on and on it goes. The meeting on Thursday ended with a unanimous vote to subpoena Donald Trump and threats that criminal referrals against several Trump allies could be forthcoming. Meanwhile, the September release of the committee's full report has been delayed once again. It won't be available until November 29th, 2022. And a month later, according to the legislative guidelines, the committee will automatically dissolve. All evidence will be handed over to Pelosi's office or a Democrat-controlled committee and presumably buried before Republicans can resume control of Congress. In an overwrought monologue, before the committee voted on her resolution to subpoena Trump, Liz Cheney preached that she was obligated to the country and the Constitution to get all the answers about what happened that day. But her list of those culpable intentionally omits the powerful and the unknown despite promises otherwise. And therein lies the real truth about January 6, 2021. That's an article from the great Julie Kelly over the American Greatness, amgreatness.com. It's entitled, The Broken Promises of the January 6 Committee. Now, President Trump came out with a response to the subpoena. And it's a remarkable response, if I do say so myself. And I'm going to share it with you because I don't think anybody else is going to. It's kind of a long letter, but, I mean, there's no fat in it. You know? I think you deserve to hear every word of it. And, uh, and so I shall share it with you momentarily. First of all, we cannot say thank you enough to our friends, our advertisers, who make it possible for us to continue to do the Doc Washburn Show now into our second year. Thank you all so much. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. 
But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You will be glad you did. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thank you once again so much to our advertisers, our friends, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree. Not only are they, they our advertisers, but they're also our doctors and our friends. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people that we know so much. Best kept secret in American healthcare, getting your atlas adjusted. Thank you also to our good friend, Mitch Ward, proprietor of the Red River chain, redriveryourway.com. We can't thank you enough, Mitch. God bless y'all. Thank you very much. Now, something I want to share with you before I get to uh, President Trump's response to the subpoena from Nancy Pelosi's sham January 6th committee. You know, I've been talking about how the world is going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, sky-high gas prices, woke corporations that stand against everything we believe in. I've discussed how the big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. I think we all know the wealthiest people on earth 
got a lot wealthier while mom and pop businesses suffered in our country? So here's a question. What are we willing to do about it? How can our voices be heard? Well, we need to vote with our dollars. That's how we can make a difference. Think about it. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items from a family-owned company? That's why SwitchToAmerica.com was created. It's helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. That's why SwitchToAmerica.com was created with regular folks like you and me in mind. I love what the folks at SwitchToAmerica.com are doing for us. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation today is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. We now have over 30 different Patriot influencers on board at SwitchToAmerica.com. There's a massive sweep happening throughout the Patriot Nation, and you get to decide if you want to be part of this movement. Together, we will cut off the cash flow of the big, woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We're done being poisoned and robbed by the deep state. We're done with a woke globalist operation against humanity. I'm inviting you right now to come join us. Link arms with your fellow patriots at switchtoamerica.com. Each of us can choose to take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages and instead choose to help regular people by shopping family-owned, made in America. SwitchToAmerica.com. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. We need to start voting with our dollars to finally ensure that our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom instead of companies that promote wokeism and globalism. SwitchToAmerica.com is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy and run out of our entire lives. There are options available. We're creating a movement to help the little guys instead of continuing to help the wealthiest people on the planet. The website, once more, is SwitchToAmerica.com. And when it asks how you heard about them, make sure you click on the word other. That's my nickname for the time being. Uh, people at SwitchToAmerica.com are calling me other. Maybe, maybe eventually we'll get to, <laughs> we'll get a passcode doc. But for now, it's other. That's me at SwitchToAmerica.com. All right. President Trump's response to the subpoena from the sham January 6th committee on his letterhead. Donald J. Trump, October 13th, 2022. And at the top, it says, peacefully and patriotically. So it's addressed to the Honorable Benny G. Thompson. Of course, there's nothing honorable about him. But anyway, that's just uh, how you do it. Chairperson, the Select Committee to Investigate the January 6th Attack on the U.S. Capitol, Longworth House Office Building, Washington, D.C., 20515. Dear Chairman Thompson, and the first sentence is in caps, all caps. The presidential election of 2020 was rigged and stolen. Then President Trump says the same group of radical left Democrats 
who utilized their majority position in Congress to create the fiction of Russia, 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 impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, the $48 million Mueller report, which ended in no collusion, Ukraine, 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 the atrocious and illegal spying on my campaign, and so much more are the people who created this committee of highly partisan political hacks and thugs. Told you it wasn't honorable. Whose sole function is to destroy the lives of many hardworking American patriots whose records in life have been unblemished until this point of attempted ruination. The double standard of the unselects, see, it's called the select committee, so he calls them the unselects, between what has taken place on the right and what has taken place with the radical left, lawless groups such as Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and others, is startling and will never be acceptable, even to those who will be writing the history of what you have done to America. This memo is being written to express our anger, disappointment, and complaint that with all of the hundreds of millions of dollars spent on what many consider to be a charade and witch hunt and despite strong and powerful requests, you have not spent even a short moment on examining the massive election fraud that took place during the 2020 presidential election and have targeted only those who were, as concerned American citizens, protesting the fraud itself. Those who committed the fraud thereby having created the crime of the century, go unblemished and untouched, but those who fought the crime have suffered a fate that was unthinkable just a short time ago. We have a two-tier system of justice in the United States that cannot be allowed to continue. A majority of people in our country say that the presidential election of 2020 was determinatively dishonest, including the fact that many legislatures were overridden by local and state politicians and judges on vital regulations and requirements, which is totally illegal and unconstitutional. In February 2021, Time Magazine broke the story of the shadow campaign that was launched to rig the 2020 presidential election. The authors write, and I quote, to the president, something felt amiss. On December 2nd, Trump said it was all very, very strange. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint the winner, even while many key states were still being counted. In a way, Trump was right. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, unquote. Trump continues. You did not ask one question about any of this. Since 1888, no incumbent president has gained votes and lost re-election. 
I received many millions more votes in 2020 than I did in 2016, unheard of in our political history. When you win Ohio, Florida, and Iowa, which I did in a landslide, no president has lost the general election since 1960. We swept all four bellwether states, Iowa, Florida, Ohio, and North Carolina, that have correctly predicted election winners since 1896. I won 18 of the 19 bellwether counties. My coattails secured the victories of 27 out of 27 toss-up house races, and the Democrats did not flip a single state legislature. Yet somehow, Biden beat Obama with a black population in select swing state cities, but nowhere else? It is all not possible or very likely, but should have been a major subject of your committee's work because it was the election result that brought this record-breaking crowd to Washington, D.C. on January 6th. A large percentage of American citizens, including almost the entire Republican Party, feel that the election was rigged and stolen because they have seen the determinative evidence, some of which is attached to this letter. No work was done by the Committee on Election Fraud. We, and a huge portion of the American people, simply asked that it be a part of your committee's work. It wasn't. In addition, the Unselect Committee has willfully ignored the fact that days before January 6, 2021, I recommended and authorized thousands of troops to be deployed to ensure that there was peace safety, and security at the Capitol and throughout Washington, D.C. on January 6th because I knew, just based on instinct and what I was hearing, that the crowd coming to listen to my speech and various others would be a very big one, far bigger than anyone thought possible. As it turns out, it was indeed one of the largest crowds I've ever spoken before a very wide swath stretching all the way back to the Washington Monument, the massive size of this crowd and its meaning has never been a subject of your committee nor has it been discussed by the fake news media that absolutely refuses to acknowledge in any way, shape, or form the magnitude of what was taking place. In fact, For such an historic event, there are very few pictures that accurately show the event or how many people were really there. Incredibly, it seems that pictures showing the size of the event were perhaps canceled, scrubbed, deleted, or in any event, not available, but we still have some as attached. The Department of Defense timeline shows that National Guard troops could have easily been present at the Capitol before January 6th and that I fully authorized this recommendation and request. 
following my authorization, the Department of Defense was surprised to receive a wholesale refusal in writing from D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser and the Capitol Police, who do not report to me, but report to Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. The law requires their authorization before any troop deployment could be utilized in Washington, D.C. Why the failure to act or use this ready force? Had even a small percentage of National Guard or fencing been there, there would have been no problem. January 6th would have been just another date. I did my job long ahead of schedule. Some people call it good instinct, but the troops were ready to go. Nancy Pelosi and Muriel Bowser didn't do their job. They didn't like the look of soldiers. And sadly, your committee refuses to say anything about it because if they did, it would be clear that I did everything correctly. And that is not what the committee wants to see. You stated openly that Nancy Pelosi is off limits. There will be no discussions on this subject, yet she and the mayor were responsible for this very bad decision not to bring in the troops. The troops were ready to go, and you refused to even discuss the subject. Why? Despite very poor television ratings, the unselect committee has perpetuated a show trial the likes of which this country has never seen before. There is no due process, no cross-examination, no real Republican members, and no legitimacy since you do not talk about election fraud or not calling up the troops. It is a witch hunt of the highest level, a continuation of what has been going on for years. You have not gone after the people that created the fraud, but rather great American patriots who questioned it, as is their constitutional right. These people have had their lives ruined as your committee sits back and basks in the glow. The people of this country will not stand for unequal justice under the law or liberty and justice for some. Election day is coming. We demand answers on the crime of the century. Sincerely, Donald J. Trump, 45th President of the United States. And in this, he carbon copies the rest of the members of the committee. Zoe Lofgren, Adam Schiff, Pete Aguilar, Stephanie Murphy, Jamie Raskin, and Elaine Luria, all Democrats. And Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, who may as well be Democrats. And then in the appendix, he has... Pictures of the crowd that day, hundreds of thousands of people, could, could easily be a million people. I mean, long shots from the air could easily be a million people. And then the appendix continues with serious bullet points from each of the states in question. First of all, Arizona. Maricopa County accepted at least 20,000 mail-in ballots after Election Day 2020, including 18,000 on November 4th, 2020, picked up from the U.S. Postal Service more than the entire election margin of just 10,457 ballots. A study of early ballot envelope signatures identified 
229,430 mismatched signatures in Maricopa County alone. But officials only reported 25,000 mismatches, or 1.3%. The Arizona Forensic Audit of Maricopa County identified numerous anomalies, fraud, and election law violations that are determinative, including 17,322 duplicate absentee ballot envelopes, which surged after the election. Between November 4th and November 9th, scores of mail-in ballot duplicates emerged. 96% of the ballots that came in on two of those days were duplicates. Auditors discovered evidence that millions of files of general election data and security logs were deleted, with purges taking place on critical days, including the day before the audit began on February 2, 2021. The Maricopa County Board of Supervisors admitted they purged the system and moved election data after they received a subpoena. Another analysis by Dr. Shiva Ayadurai in Pima County, Arizona, found significant anomalies with mail-in ballots. In precincts with anomalous high turnout, over 92%, mail-in ballots started flipping from 6% Republican for Biden to 40% of Republicans voting for Biden, which is highly suspect. Two precincts in Pima County had over 100% turnout for mail-in ballots, which is impossible. And 40 precincts had over 97% returned. The audit discovered numerous state election laws were broken in the 2020 presidential election, and he has a long list of the specific state election laws there. 2,500 duplicated ballots created from a damaged ballot had no serial numbers, a violation of Arizona state law, ARS 16-621. 1,919 mail-in ballot envelopes were missing signatures, a violation of, and then he has the law on that one. Maricopa County reported 1,455 no signatures on mail-in ballot envelopes. To this day, Maricopa County has never provided chain of custody documents for all election equipment and ballots, and that's in violation of another law he cites there. At least 740,000 ballots violated chain of custody requirements in Maricopa County. I think it's obvious he took Arizona in a landslide, but they stole it. I think that's really obvious. Okay, next, Georgia. 43,907 ballots from Facebook-funded drop boxes were counted in DeKalb County. That's in the Atlanta metro. They violated the chain of custody rules. And remember, Georgia was decided by just 11,779 votes. So the ones that violated the chain of custody rules and the Facebook-funded drop boxes in that one county of Georgia was almost four times the difference between the final tally between Biden and Trump. Next, 
poll workers were caught scanning ballots multiple times on camera in Fulton County. Remember the video from State Farm Center? He said ballot images confirmed at least 3,390 duplicate votes were counted for Joe Biden. Also, at least 10,300 illegally cast votes in Georgia and up to 35,000 are from individuals who voted in the wrong county more than necessary to tip the 2020 results. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger's own investigator in Fulton County reported ballots were unaccounted for. He witnessed at least 2,800 ballots that came in mail carts instead of black ballot bins violating chain of custody and reported 1,200 ballots that were cured and wheeled in through the back door days after Election Day when President Trump's massive lead shrunk as more votes continue to be tallied in Fulton County. The investigator also found identical vote tallies repeated multiple times that likely resulted in about 1,000 extra votes being tallied for Joe Biden. A week after this private memo was sent to him, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger falsely claimed publicly the election results were trustworthy and sound when he knew they were not. Raffensperger was told of numerous irregularities on a video conference call with Republicans after the 2020 election that put the outcome of the election into doubt, including an admission from an elections board member in Gwinnett County, again, Northeast Atlanta Metro, that, quote, we have way more ballots than we have envelopes. I don't think it was done right, unquote. Hundreds of voters were taken away from Trump after election workers altered ballots that were rejected by voting machines. Trump votes were thrown out while spoiled ballots were unlawfully counted for Joe Biden. During the hand recount, tally sheets were falsified showing unanimous vote counts for Joe Biden, including 100 to 0 and 200 to 0 fraudulent counts. Next, in President Trump's response to Nancy Pelosi's Sham January 6th committee, Michigan. Officials in Detroit illegally blocked Republican poll challengers' access, covered the windows, called the police, and denied lawful challenges in order to count ballots in secret. Affidavits and video evidence show thousands of ballots being delivered through a back door of the then-named TCF Center at 3.30 a.m. on election night. The rhinos in the state Senate confirmed this also in their report analyzing the 2020 election and said a large volume of ballots were delivered to the TCF Center with no chain of custody. Those ballots came from drop boxes. Matt DiPerno found voting machines were subverted and accessed remotely. In Antrim County, Michigan, 7,048 votes were changed in favor of Joe Biden. Next, Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, as of February 2021, 
there were 121,240 more votes than voters. By law, Pennsylvania cannot certify an election with this type of discrepancy. A lawsuit filed in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, revealed video evidence of election officials discussing destroying election evidence from November 2020. After talking about the need to get rid of voting pads and second scanners, one official says it's a felony. Videos and sources involved in the litigation say the Delaware County officials violated numerous election laws and needed to hide evidence and that the destruction of records was done to ensure records eventually provided actually matched the election results that were reported in November 2020. Attorney General Bill Barr ordered U.S. Attorney Bill McSwain to stand down and not investigate election irregularities even after McSwain reported that his office received various allegations of voter fraud and election irregularities from the state of Michigan. Next, Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, nearly 200,000 voters identified as indefinitely confined, even though that was often not the case. They were simply using COVID as a means to skirt voter ID laws for mail-in ballots. These ballots should have been thrown out. After the 2020 presidential election, a judge ruled the Democrat governor did not have legal authority to exempt all voters to get an absentee ballot without an ID. 44,272 people, according to the Wisconsin Legislative Audit Bureau, voted in November 2020 without ever showing voter ID, which is more than twice the vote margin in the state of Wisconsin. The Wisconsin Election Commission ordered nursing homes to violate election laws, leading to widespread voter fraud and 95 to 100% turnout in nursing homes, an impossibility. Yeah, because, again, obviously some people in nursing homes are not in the right mind, so you can't have 95 to 100% turnout. You, you can't. It is impossible. But President Trump continues. In a powerful ruling by the Wisconsin Supreme Court, drop boxes that were used in the 2020 election were found to be illegal. In a concurring opinion, justices stated, if elections are conducted outside of the law, the people have not conferred their consent on the government. Such elections are unlawful, and their results are illegitimate. President Trump continues saying, we have only covered five swing states. This does not pertain to the rest of the country. For example, what is being done about the cash for votes scheme in Nevada? where 15 out of 17 counties had more votes than voters. Is the committee going to report on the million dollars the FBI wanted to pay Christopher Steele as an incentive to prove the dossier allegations and get Trump? Or is it going to get to the bottom of the fact that my campaign was blatantly spied on by the Democrats even while I was in the Oval Office? 
in what for anyone else would be one of the biggest scandals in political history. It was also recently reported that the FBI interfered in the 2020 presidential election by telling Facebook and the media not to reveal anything about Hunter Biden's laptop. The FBI said it was Russian disinformation, but knew that it wasn't. It was a well-guarded secret that only one newspaper had the courage to report. Eight in ten Americans believe this unprecedented collusion impacted the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. In addition, True the Vote, the nation's leading voters' rights organization, collected over 4 million minutes of ballot drop box video showing ballot stuffing at a level not seen before. This is also supported by highly accurate cell phone data that tracked the same individuals going to as many as 28 different locations in one day to do this. All in all, millions of ballots were stuffed. Based on their research, True the Vote estimates as many as 7% of all mail-in ballots cast could have been ineligible. Approximately 4.8 million votes, an election-changing number many times over. Also, why haven't you spoken with the USPS Inspector General and the U.S. Election Assistance Commission about the 1.1 million mail-in ballots that they admit were deemed undeliverable? 560,814 rejected and 14.7 million still unable to be tracked as a public interest legal foundation uncovered. Where are they? To this day, new evidence is emerging as patriots around the country are uncovering systemic problems with their voter rolls. Furthermore, Republican counties across the nation, from Texas to Michigan, Arizona to Wisconsin, and more, have voted to decertify and reject the 2020 election. The most recent Rasmussen poll on the issue found a staggering 55% think cheating likely affected the outcome, including 53% of independents and 35% of Democrats, revealing this issue is not going away. There are many other facts and discrepancies that we are not presenting at this time due to time constraints, but that are also election determinative. At your request, I will present these additional numbers to you, but everything already presented would change the final election results many times over. And that is President Donald J. Trump's response to the sham select committee to investigate the January 6th attack in the U.S. Capitol. That is his response from Thursday, October 13th, 2022, I shared it with you because I think that you deserve to hear it and because I can't imagine that anyone else did. All right. Now, this brings us to John Durham. A lot of my fellow conservatives have been disappointed 
the special counsel, John Durham, hasn't produced more results. Now, I asked Cash Patel about that when he was on the show recently. Hey, what's the deal with John Durham going after the small fry, the, 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 the little fish, the ancillary characters instead of after the big guys? Okay? Cash Patel assured me that he's known John Durham for a lot of years, a long time, and that John Durham is on the right track. And Cash Patel is not only brilliant, not only an expert on national security and defense and intelligence, but he's also an attorney. And I think Cash Patel, when he came on the show with me, implied that John Durham is building the momentum to eventually go after bigger fish. And I hope so. I hope so. But let me share with you an article from the great Margot Cleveland over the Federalist.com. Now, Margot Cleveland, of course, is their senior legal correspondent, and I've shared with you articles she has written before. This one is entitled, Why the FBI's Last-Minute Change to a FISA Application is Worse Than Using Unverified Steel Dossier. And then I will get to you my perspective on Durham, which I think is different than anything I've heard anybody say. So here's Margot Cleveland at The Federalist. She said, Special Counsel John Durham's deft questioning of FBI agent Brian Auten, who, by the way, is a supervisory intelligence analyst for the FBI. Brian Auten. John Durham's deft questioning of Brian Autumn, the FBI, during the prosecution of Steele dossier primary subsource Igor Danchenko, confirmed the Crossfire Hurricane team obtained permission to surveil U.S. citizen Carter Page without first verifying the dossier's claims. Now, while scandalous, the Justice Department's deceptive framing of Christopher Steele's source network as connected to his prior work with British intelligence is worse because the higher-ups who authorized the inclusion of this detail in the final revision of the application knew a FISA warrant would likely be denied without this misrepresentation. Stick with me. The special counsel's criminal trial against Danchenko on five counts of lying to the FBI began earlier this week in a Virginia federal court with prosecutor Michael Keelty framing for the jury the significance of Danchenko's alleged lies during the government's opening statement. With a reference to the FBI's FISA-approved surveillance of Carter Page, Keelty said in his opening statement, the evidence in this trial will show that the Steele dossier would cause the FBI to engage 
and troubling conduct that would ultimately result in the extended surveillance of the United States citizen. And the defendant's lies played a role in that surveillance. The prosecutor argued that Danchenko lied about his sources. The government explained specifically the evidence would show Danchenko lied about Sergi Million being one source and then later falsely denied that Charles Dolan provided other information Danchenko fed to Christopher Steele for his dossier. John Durham then questioned the government's first witness, Brian Auten. Through Auten, a supervisory intelligence analyst for the FBI who led the analysts working on Crossfire Hurricane, the special counsel elicited testimony for the jury of the origins of the investigation into the Trump campaign and the D.C. headquarters receipt of the Steele dossier on September 19, 2016. From there, FBI intelligence analyst Auten walked the jury through a trip to Europe in which agents offered Christopher Steele up to $1 million for information to confirm the dossier allegations and Christopher Steele's inability to provide evidence to confirm the claims of Trump-Russia collusion. Brian Auten further explained that while Christopher Steele refused to identify his sources by December of 2016, through research, Auten had determined that Danchenko served as Steele's primary subsource. After identifying Danchenko as Steele's primary subsource, Auten explained that the FBI sought Danchenko's cooperation, making him a confidential human source and offering him immunity. Auten further testified about Danchenko's work with the Crossfire Hurricane team and what Danchenko told them and didn't tell them, including Danchenko's claims multiple times that he had received a telephone call from someone he believed to be Sergey Million providing intel about the Trump campaign's Russia connections. Auten also told the jury that Danchenko had denied talking with Charles Dolan about any of the details contained in the dossier. Durham further elicited from Auten testimony that the four FISA applications used to obtain a surveillance order to spy on Carter Page included information from the Steele dossier, including details provided by Danchenko that Danchenko had attributed to Million, and in questioning Auten about the FISA applications and their reliance on the Steele dossier, Durham pounded the point that the FBI had used the Steele dossier to obtain a court order to surveil a United States citizen without corroborating any of the substantive details contained in the supposed intelligence report. Now, between September 19, 2016, when the FBI headquarters first received the Steele dossier, and October 21, 2016, when the government submitted the first FISA application, Durham asked FBI agent Auten, were you able to confirm or corroborate in any of the FBI system 
the very serious allegations that were contained in dossier reports. Otten replied, no. So Durham inquired, and what can you tell the jurors about whether or not any of the intelligence agencies that the FBI contacted for corroborative information produced any corroborative information about the dossier's allegations? Otten explained, we did receive information back from a number of different agencies, but nothing that corroborated the specific allegations in the dossier. The questions continued. Did Christopher Steele provide any corroborative information for the information that was contained in his reports in the dossier reports? Auten confirmed, not for the allegations, no. Durham pushed further, saying, at any time, when you were overseas, meeting with Steele in early October 2016, did he provide anything? Auten responded, he did not. What about at any time after the October meeting with Mr. Steele and after the million dollars plus have been offered as an incentive to provide corroborative information for what was in those reports, did he provide any corroborative information? Auten testified in response to Durham's question, no. And yet, portions of the Steele dossier played a significant part in the Carter Page FISA applications. The special counsel reiterated that point regularly during the first few days of the trial while stressing in question after question that the FBI had failed to corroborate the allegations. With Danchenko being the main source for Steele's dossier, that testimony strengthened the government's case that Danchenko's alleged lies materially affected the FBI's investigation. Simultaneously, the special counsel's line of questioning served to castigate FBI intelligence analyst Brian Auten and the other members of the Crossfire Hurricane team at FBI for using uncorroborated material to surveil a United States citizen, in this case, Carter Page. The FBI's use of the uncorroborated Steele dossier was not the FBI's worst offense, however. Worse still was the Crossfire Hurricane team's last-minute amendment to the FISA application that misleadingly framed Christopher Steele's source network as one established during his time as an agent at MI6 which is the UK's foreign intelligence agency, kind of like CIA for the U.S., when in fact neither Danchenko nor any of Christopher Steele's other dossier sources had been sources when he had been with British intelligence years earlier. While Steele would later confirm for the Inspector General that his source network did not involve sources from his time with MI6, but was developed entirely in the period after he retired from government service. From Brian Auden's detailed trial testimony, we now know that the Crossfire Hurricane team either knew Steele's source network was not connected to British intelligence 
or knew that it could not in good faith make that representation to the FISA court. For two days, John Durham elicited testimony from Auten of the FBI's attempts to ascertain Steele's source network, including during a trip to Europe in early October 2016, but Steele refused to identify his sources. Auten's testimony in this regard proves significant when considered together with details previously revealed in the Office of Inspector General's report on FISA abuse. In discussing the process the FBI undertook to obtain his first FISA warrant on page, the OIG, Office of Inspector General, explained that the day before the FISA court granted the surveillance order, the government submitted a read copy of the FISA application to the FISA court's legal advisor for a preliminary assessment of any issues there might be. Well, the FISA court's legal advisor asked the attorney working with the FBI in the application how it was that Steele had a network of subsources. The government lawyer, according to the OIG report, explained provided additional information to him regarding Steele's past employment history. That response implied that Steele's source network came from his time when he was a spy at MI6, again, the UK's version of CIA. Significantly, the FISA court's legal advisor then indicated the additional detail of Steele's prior work with British intelligence should definitely be included in the official FISA application to the court. Here's the quote from the Inspector General's report. That the legal advisor not only raised the question about Steele's access to a network of sources, but then insisted that the FISA application be updated to include information concerning Steele's prior government position shows the FISA court placed great significance on Steele's previous British intelligence work for purposes of assessing the reliability of his source network. And with that misleading information added, the next day, October 21st, 2016, the FISA court issued the first of four orders authorizing the surveillance of Carter Page's phone and email accounts. Now, remember, because Margot Cleveland doesn't mention it in her article here, but remember, with a FISA court, you get two hops. The FISA court says, yeah, yeah, you can do surveillance on this guy. You also get to do surveillance on whoever he's in contact with and whoever they're in contact with. And that's how you get to Trump. And that's why they did it. Even though James Comey lied to President Trump and said, you're not under surveillance, he was under surveillance. But I digress. Okay, here's the rest of Margot Cleveland's article. She says, given the importance the legal advisor placed on understanding Christopher Steele's source network, 
It seems unlikely the FISA court would have authorized the surveillance of Carter Page had the FBI either acknowledged the steel source network came from his private work with his own company, Orbis, or conceded that Christopher Steele had refused to reveal his sources. It was his final deception then, and not merely the FBI's reliance on the uncorroborated Steele dossier, but this final deception that led to the illegal surveillance of Carter Page. And here, those involved in adding the last-minute credibility-boosting footnote reference to Steele's MI6 work knew full well that misrepresentation would score the Bureau a surveillance warrant, making it an even worse transgression. Margot Cleveland, the great Margot Cleveland of the Federalist, concludes, of course, we've yet to see the FBI agents responsible for this farce face justice. And as edifying as it is to hear Durham eviscerate the agents involved, that is not enough to ensure this travesty never repeats itself because it already is. Now, on the word enough, when she says that is not enough, She links to an article entitled Special Counsel Durham's Protect the Establishment Approach is Destroying the Country. And that's from September 26, Margot Cleveland, The Federalist. And I think I've already shared that one with you. She says that is not enough to ensure this travesty never repeats itself because it already is. The words it already is link to a different article that Margot Cleveland dropped on August 15th entitled Records Suggest a Backbench Bureaucrat's Partisan Grievance Spurred the FBI's Nakedly Political Raid on Trump. And it goes into great detail on how this archivist of the National Archives, who's a liberal and hates Trump, was able to get the DOJ's attention and the FBI's attention and might have been the catalyst for the unprecedented, illegal, and unconstitutional raid on Mar-a-Lago. So, where does that leave us? Well, I've been teasing this since the start of today's show. I've got some ideas here. So I have a take on John Durham I haven't seen anywhere else. But I wonder if maybe some of the conservative commentators who know John Durham and who are much more well-known than I may have the same take, but they're holding their breath. They're afraid to say what they're thinking because they don't want to say it publicly for fear of maybe goofing something up. Well, look, I don't want to goof anything up either. But I'm not nearly as well-known as these people. You know me. You listen to my show. And I appreciate that. But um, I don't think I'm going to be endangering anything by giving you my thoughts on this, which I think are shared by some others that just can't quite say it, and I don't blame them. 
but I do want to give you something to chew on. Okay? Now, the common complaint about Durham is he is only going for peripheral characters, the small fry, as I mentioned before. Hardly anyone still holds out any hope that special counsel John Durham will ever get around to indicting former FBI Director James Comey or other FBI higher-ups like Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Andrew McCabe, current FBI Director Christopher Wray, former FBI Director Bob Mueller, who wasted almost two years and $48 million on something he should have known from the start was a sham, or his uh, top guy, right-hand man, Andrew Weissman, who is just a horrible person, or for that matter, even people higher up, you know? Hardly anybody still holds out hope that John Durham's ever going to get around to indicting any of these people. And the main reason people have arrived at that conclusion is how long this process has been going on already. So they've given up hope a long time ago, and I can't blame them. But we're just kind of thinking out loud here, okay? For everybody who's given up hope, I have one question for you. I'm not blaming you for giving up hope. I don't blame you at all. I'm thinking that's a pretty reasonable place to be, but 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 just wait. But I got one question for you. Who is John Durham's boss? Answer? Attorney General Merrick Garland. Hyper political Attorney General Merrick Garland, who uses the DOJ, including the FBI, to attack political opponents of the Biden regime. Okay? So it is inconceivable that Merrick Garland is going to willingly, with foreknowledge, allow John Durham to go after FBI higher-ups and, and for that matter, their former political bosses like Hillary, Obama, Biden. No, 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 no. I mean, Merrick Garland's just, he, he, he's not going to do that, right? So this current trial is supposed to be about a guy named Igor Danchenko lying to the FBI, right? So... Most conservative observers have despaired that John Durham will ever go after the big fish really responsible for all the crimes and constitutional rights violations they committed against Donald Trump and other people in his orbit. And yet, as we just read, in the course of the trial, Durham has also been just roasting FBI officials who appeared as witnesses. He has been excoriating them. So what happens after this current trial? Is John Durham going to ask who gave the orders to lie to the FISA court? That could very well go up the food chain in the FBI. 
how much is Merrick Garland going to let him get away with in terms of indicting somewhat bigger fish? Let me just say what I'm thinking and what I think a lot of people a lot smarter than me may be very apprehensive of saying in public, and again, I don't blame them. Is the process of going after small fry like Danchenko just a ruse to keep Garland off the scent of what John Durham is really trying to do? Although it looks like Durham is just going after small-time crooks for lying to the FBI, He's actually developing official FBI malfeasance in this trial. And even though Hillary lawyer Michael Sussman was found not guilty by a clearly biased Washington, D.C. jury just recently, Cash Patel, again, one of the sharpest lawyers I've ever spoken with, was encouraged that Durham was able to get a lot of important evidence on the record in that trial. Now, I didn't ask him in the moment, okay? But I don't think Cash Patel thinks John Durham plans to close up shop anytime soon, okay? That just seemed to be the vibe I was getting from Cash Patel because I was surprised that he was so positive, so encouraged about stuff that came out in the trial, even though Sussman was found not guilty. Okay, here's another thing to consider. For all the people who say Durham's job is just to cover up for the deep state by running out the clock on the statute of limitations, I have a few questions for you, all right? First, Do you realize that when William Barr designated Durham special counsel in December of 2020, part of Durham's charter was to investigate the Mueller investigation itself? Do you realize Mueller was special counsel till late May of 2019 and was still testifying before Congress about his report later on in summer of 2019. So the statute of limitations on anything related to the Mueller investigation would not run until the middle of 2024. Now, if Republicans take back the House and Senate in a few weeks, does that make Durham's job a little bit easier? I don't know. Merrick Garland is still his boss, technically, but what I do know is something that no one ever talks about. If there is a criminal conspiracy, and it is ongoing, it is my understanding that it does not matter how many years ago it started because it is still going on. There's no statute of limitations because there's no date that it ended. And if you don't think the January 6th setup at the Capitol, stolen election, Nancy Pelosi's sham January 6th committee 
are part of a years-long criminal conspiracy that goes back to at least 2016 with the Trump-Russia collusion, crossfire, hurricane hoax. I don't know what to tell you. For that matter, after all we learned about Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Deborah Burks, if you don't think they were part of a conspiracy to use the China virus as an excuse to introduce mass mail-in voting to make it easier to steal the election from Donald Trump, I can't help you. Now, to all of us who have been so impatient, so disappointed that John Durham has just been slow-walking this whole process, just playing out the string, as it were, what if he is intentionally slow-walking it right now, right into January 2025 in the hope that a new president a Republican president and a new attorney general, a Republican attorney general would actually let him go after everyone who deserves to be charged with very serious crimes against the Republic. Now, is that too much to hope for? Perhaps. Perhaps it is too much to hope for. But then again, I'm old enough to remember how people would call my radio talk show in Little Rock, Arkansas in 2014 and tell me with a sense of dread that Hillary Clinton was going to be our next president and there was not a thing any of us could do to stop it. Doc, you don't know. You don't know, man. No. We've been in Arkansas all our life, man. We've seen everything Clinton's got away with. You just don't understand, Doc. Brother, I hate to break it to you, but Hillary's going to be our next president. She's going to get elected 2016 no matter what, don't matter who the Republicans put up against her. We just, we're just going to have to suck it up and deal with it, Doc. I, I hate to tell you. I remember that. I remember the sense of dread the people in Arkansas had and the pain in their voices that they were resigned to that idea. And yet, the Lord in his infinite grace and mercy spared us from that fate. Will he do it again? I don't know. We certainly don't deserve it. But then again, we didn't deserve it last time either, did we? So just a thought. Just a thought. And I hope it's edifying for you. I hope it's edifying for you. All right, it's about that time. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the United States that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online have it delivered to your front door 
anywhere in the continental United States of America. Okay, so today's tweet of the day is just a little clip from Joe Biden. We call him Dementia Joe for short. Here's what he said. There's not a single solitary Biden man that is younger than any Biden woman. Got that? There's not a single solitary Biden man that is younger than any Biden woman. You want proof the election was stolen? That guy got 81 million votes. Ah, Forget 2,000 mules. All you need is stuff like that right there, right? That's all you need is stuff like that. If you want proof that the election was stolen. That guy got 10 million more votes than than, than Obama? Really? Come on, man. Yeah, he said that a lot, didn't he? He said, come on, man, didn't he? How about this one? Let me start off with two words. Made in America. Made in America. So he can't count to three, huh? Let me start off with two words. Made in America. That guy, huh? That guy. 81 million votes, huh? End of quote. Repeat the line. End of quote. Repeat the line. Just like Ron Burgundy. You put it on the uh, teleprompter, he's going to read it. He's not going to follow the directions. He'll read the directions. Right? Yeah. So, anyway. Oh, did you know American can be defined in a single word? Yeah, sure can. That's what Dementia Joe said. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was in the foot, foot, excuse me, the foothills of the Himalayas with Xi Jinping, traveling with him. And that's who traveled 17,000 miles when I was vice president. I don't know that for a fact. And uh, Okay, I'm not going to torment you anymore with that. Well, I'll tell you the same thing I told my radio audience in the lead-up to the uh, 2016 presidential election. Pray for our country. Pray for our country. Who knows? The Lord heard the prayers of praying people in 2016. Maybe he'll hear our prayers going into the November election this year and November election 2024. You never know. But a lot of times when believers pray, it's not so much a matter of whether God answered your prayers, but it's more a question of God making you more like him. I mean, that's what he wants, right? That's what his word says, right? Okay. You've been listening to episode 261 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those 
of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a Terribly Messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the 10th. And that's the way it is. Saturday, October 15th, 2022.